Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. The thing is, I've always worked to be happy, never for the money. For me, the, the money is consequence. So if you are doing what you love, there is no better time to do it than now. And it doesn't matter when this now is, if you're 18 or if you are 50. If you're doing what you really believe, it is the best for you. Just do it. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Jaffarli, a data scientist in Italy. Although I am living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevop platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? LinkedIn presents. Women in Tech podcast. We're celebrating women in tech from around the world. My name is Angie Carrillo and I'm your guest host for this episode. With me today is Maria Fujihara from Brazil, living in San Francisco, California. She's the founder and CEO of Sinai. So welcome, Maria, to Women in Tech. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to to have you here. Like when I was thinking about women that embody that vision that we have for women in tech, uh, the podcast of She Can Do It, So Can I. I was thinking about you because I remember the starting of your company and how amazing results have you have had so far. So welcome. And it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me and for the invite. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, um, Maria, to for everybody listening, you know, just tell them a little bit about yourself, what you do with Sinai. And yeah. Of course. So I'm the founder and CEO of Sinai Technologies. We are a decarbonization intelligence platform. And we help carbon intensive companies, which means the biggest polluters in the world, to um, understand where they are, so how much emissions they are emitting today and where they can be in the future. So what are the 
potential different pathways that they can take in terms of reduction and achieving emissions reductions targets uh, or not, or keeping business as usual and how that would interfere in their business analysis and, and projection. So we are a very analytical platform and this is us in a nutshell. That sounds like a very, you know, like tech driven and data driven business, right? But I want I want to know, you know, how you you got into that, you know, from your background, you're, you're an architect major, right? And you came from being an expert working with a nonprofit to founding a tech startup. I want to, you know, like take us a little bit back in time and how you got interested in tech and startups. Good question. Yes, I, my background is not in tech. And like you said, I met major in architecture, but I've never designed a building my whole life. So this is something that maybe it was wrong from the beginning, but of course life Life takes you in, in paths that you don't really understand until you are in it. So definitely was important for me to be in the construction road at the beginning because it, it was really when I built my career around sustainability. So I worked for the Green Building Council Brazil for almost 10 years, which was an organization, a nonprofit in Brazil that that it was, you know, very much paired with the, the U.S. Green Building Council, but I was based in Brazil, that it was about how to use, basically how to certify green buildings and how to create um, the green building movement. So I've been working sustainability my whole life. That's always been my biggest interest. I actually started this in that organization as a as an intern, then I left, I worked for a few other companies that are irrelevant. And then I went back and then worked there for eight years. So this, this was, this was kind of like most of my career before moving to tech. Um, but I, I want to notice that both of my parents are also in the sustainability space. So I think this was also something that I grew up hearing about it and, and being interested about it. So I think this there is a big part of it that it's um, just a personal drive that that came from my family, at, which I think it's important to say because we are building. If we want to build the next generation of climate tech, uh, we need to start at home and we need to start, you know, talking about it with our kids and family and friends. Because I think that definitely plant the seeds that we're going to harvest in the future. But anyway, I started my career. So I, 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 I left the organization, the Green Building Council Brazil. And I my heart was telling me that I needed to come to California. I honestly had no clue why. And I just decided to listen. It was a time in my life that I didn't have much, many things holding me back in Brazil. So I decided to come. And I came to San Diego first. Um, so I closed everything in Brazil. I closed, I sold my car. I rent my apartment. I give away 80% of my stuff. And I think when you, when you decide to make these big changes, you're, you make so much room for so many other things in your life that you're not expecting to. So if you are somebody who loves to plan, I think sometimes it's good to not have a plan at all. Because life might surprise you in so many good ways that you have never thought 
than you could. So I'm, I'm, I, I encourage people to do this for sometimes, you know, here and then, like just change completely. So anyway, I came to the U.S. And, and then I was living in San Diego for six months trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And then I saw this website about Singularity University um, that drew draw my attention and I apply to this program, the global solutions program, and I got accepted. And this program was about how to use exponential technologies to solve climate change, which you know very well. And maybe you can tell them what this program was about, but this was mind blowing for me because it was the first time that I realized that we could use tech to solve climate change. And, and this had never came to my mind before. I was trying to solve climate change with spreadsheets or with, you know, engagement and, and community, which is fine, but it's not going to drive the, the scale or the, the speed and the pace that we need. So when I understood that we could do this with tech technology, I was like, that's it. That was the missing piece in the puzzle. And right after the program, I started Sinai, but I'm going to stop here. And, and, and cause I know you might want to say some things about that. <laughs> so that's where we, we met, we met at Singularity when Maria was just starting her journey with tech startups and founding and Sinai, um, which actually first, I think we, you had a, a previous company called Urban Intelligence during the time that we were there. Seeing that, right? Like seeing you coming to tech and being a solo founder, we both being Latinas, we both having an accent, we both experienced in Silicon Valley, in, in a way, women in tech, we experience Silicon Valley, which is different um, than our male counterparts, right? Like, I, I want you to also take us a little bit further, right? Like, how, how was it, you know, moving from your first startup that was focused more on governments and um, it was also on climate tech, right? But having to go through that uh, breakup and separation with your first co-founder, being a solo founder, pushing through like a couple years and then meeting another co-founder later, right? Like, I, I think that's the, the that's something really interesting to me because um, I know that during that time, I the last time that we saw each other, you were, you know, in the struggle, in the in the hustle, and you didn't have anyone else, you know, like working with you in your company, and your company was yourself. And right now, you you have a global company, and you have multiple, you know, like employees. You have a co-founder, and you have raised capital, which is a completely different view from when you started, right? So even though that I'm really grateful for Singularity and everything that we learned there, I want people to know that not because you you took one course or an accelerator program and they opened some doors, that doesn't mean that it's the end all be all, right? Like it's usually like a good start, right? But um, it, it takes a lot of your mindset and your own journey. And that's what I'm like here to celebrate you because it's, it's amazing what we've done so far in all these years. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes. You were there from the beginning. So for hosts, for those who are listening, we, we were roommates, uh, Angie and I were roommates in Singularity and we've been through a lot, um, together and, 
Yeah, I guess. So to, to your point, um, I did had I did ended up singularity with a different company, Urban Intelligence, and with a different co-founder. I think that that was my first failure. I was I learned what it was to feel like a failure, and it was great because it was a very quick failure. So we I don't know it didn't last a month or two. It was two months I think, um, and it didn't work out. And mostly because. The yes, selling to governments, it's a huge challenge. And very early I realized that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have governments as customers. And at the same time, the co-founder that I had at that time, he was not based, he was not in here in the US. He was traveling, even though he was American. And it was also very hard to be on the same page. So this early years or early months are so important to be working together and live and making sure that you really know the other person. So this also didn't work in our favor. So we closed Urban Intelligence. And to be honest, I was ready to go back to Brazil. I called my parents and I tell the story. Uh, I told, I have told the stories a few times, but I, I called my parents. I was like, okay, ready to go back. Give me a ticket. I'm going back this December for Christmas. And they said, no, you're there. You've gone this far. I, I was in the US already a year and my visa was going to expire. So they said, we can pay you for the visa, but you're, we're not paying for the ticket. So you figure it out. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, what am I going to do? I guess the only way out is um, start a company, hire myself and apply for a visa. And and that was literally my only, the only possibility that I had um, because I wouldn't apply for a company for anyone. I, I couldn't find a job. I wouldn't be able to find a job in a month. So that's what I did. And it worked. I got my visa in, in a month and so I applied for, I opened the company in December. I applied for my visa in December. I got the approval in January. It was super quick. And then I was like, okay, now I have a company and I have a visa. I guess I need to work for this company. So I started working for the company. And yes, at the beginning, it was very hard because I didn't have any money. So for two years, I lived in a co-living space in San Francisco with 23 people and me, and it's not a company. It was a real co-living. Um, and in a room with no windows, making zero money, just like trying to live out of what I had, my savings and asking money for my parents and, and also going to Google and Facebook to get food because they had food available and I didn't have money to buy food. So we, it was really starting from scratch because I grew up in Sao Paulo in a very nice neighborhood. I went to the best schools. But in the U.S., I was nobody and 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 I was nothing. And yes, I had an accent and I, which I always going to have not going to change. But yeah, there's a lot of bias. There's a lot of challenges of knowing no one. But I, I guess living in in the co-living, it was one of the biggest um, one of the most important things I've done because I built uh, my network through those people. Uh, it helped me to get, you know, uh, get connected to Silicon Valley because I was living in San Francisco. I, I, I still live in San Francisco, but I was living in Soma, getting to know all of these different, you know, 
artists and and people in tech and 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 investors that were younger than me and and I was like wow this is mind blowing but at the same time it helped it really taught me a lot about leadership about uh being diplomatic about sharing a life and sharing values with 20s plus people so um, it was not easy, but I just kept it going. I, 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 you know, I never thought that I didn't have windows in my bedroom. I always thought that um, I was going to, this was a phase and it was going to pass and I just need to keep going. And that's what I did. I kept going. That That's so interesting that you mentioned one, um, the, the younger People, Because I think, you know, like in, in tech in general, sometimes there's a lot of ageism, right? Like, and you coming from having worked a decade first, right? Um, and then coming to Silicon Valley and then founding a, a tech startup. Usually, you know, like the, the founders that are around us, sometimes they are in their early 20s. They are usually male. And they're usually dropping out from an Ivy League school, right? So, which is very different. So I would like, you know, your perspective on that also. And just because imagine there, there, I imagine there are some listeners out there that they might think it's too late for them. It's too late for them to start a Texer or it's too late for them to do the, the early days of a startup that sometimes requires uh, an investment from yourself and sacrifice, right? Like, having a room with no windows instead of having your own apartment in Sao Paulo, right? Like giving up certain things, you know, at, at certain age that you think that, oh, maybe I'm too late for this, right? Like what, what will you tell, you know, like to our listeners that, that have that thought? Yeah, this is so common. And I understand some people don't want to give up on certain things and that's fine. That's their decision. I guess the amount of risk you take is directly proportional on the amount of uh, success you get and, you know, or, or, or not or failure, but um, the outcome is just directly proportional to the amount of risk you take. And it's, a, it's, on their own decision to do that. I don't blame anyone who doesn't want to do it. I don't think that is, that is also that everybody's going to have the same path. Right. But, but I was willing to do it. And I was 33 when I started the company. I'm 37 now. I, I, I have my own house in San Francisco as well, but yeah, I was open to the challenge and I wasn't concerned with, uh, for me, the thing is, I've always worked uh, to be happy, never for the money. For me, the, the money is um, is a um, consequence. So if you are doing what you love, there is no better time to do it than now. And it doesn't matter when this now is, if you're 18 or if you are 50. I think if you're if you're doing what you really believe it is the best for you just do it um and don't think and and, and you know the the compensation will come you you're going to be successful no matter what because you're going to be doing what you love and it might take a couple of years that you know you're going to have to not go to parties because that's I couldn't I couldn't do anything I couldn't go to dinners with friends I didn't have money I couldn't do anything 
but it's fine. You know, I, for me, I, I didn't care about that. I, I cared about building something that was meaningful to me that was going to make me happier. And I guess don't be afraid of um, letting some things go because the co- again, the compensation at the end is much bigger than, than the things that you have to, um, to give up at the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting because um, what would be something that you would tell, you know, like your younger self, your younger Maria, when it was in the middle of all that, um, just figuring it out because it took you a while, right? It took you like a couple of years, I think, into, into finder, finding product market fit, into finding a co-founder that actually, you know, like feels like a business partner. What, what would be something that you would tell that Maria uh, from the past? Yeah, this is, this is a nice question. I, I always like to think of, yeah, like, and what would I tell the Maria of the future as well? But I guess the co-founder story is interesting. And I, I, I want to also just mention this because I was a solo founder for a while um, and, and, and I just kept going, right? So I closed our first customer alone. I got money and then I hired a team of engineers in Brazil to develop because that, that's what I could afford. I, and then I convinced a bunch of people to work for me for free at the beginning because I, I, uh, I couldn't pay them. Of course, they, they worked for shares, but um, you know they were not getting any money. And now they're going to be compensated for that. They were also very entrepreneurial. They were also taking a big risk, but they believed me, right? And I think these early believers are so important. And the co-founder's story was so interesting because I tried... To, so I knew it as I hired this team of engineers, I was like, oh my God, I need somebody to, I need a CTO. I can't do this. This is so hard. I, I, as a founder, you wear so many different hats, but the engineering hat was an impossible hat to wear. Um, and, and then I was like, okay, I need to find a CTO. And then I started looking for, I, I try with many people. So the first one was Sue too young. He needed a lot of help and I couldn't. Uh, I needed, you know, somebody who could work autonomous. The second one didn't, was a little older, didn't want to do a lot of work and and had already, you know, his structured way of doing things also didn't work. The third one was kind of my age, but didn't have a lot of uh, understanding of tech stacks, never had gone through the entrepreneurial perspective um it also didn't work and then and then i met my co-founder and when i met him align he he was very early at uber he had left uber two years before he was just traveling and he was looking to work in climate change he was thinking of doing something similar and he saw what i was doing and he was very impressed by how far i've come alone and he was like yes this person can can do this but when he joined everything changed and yes finding somebody who has the right mindset who's thinking like you who who is um in line with your values, who is in line with your vision uh, is the key. And nobody's going to change. They have to come ready. They have to be really in line with all of these because if they are not, they're not going to change for you or for the company. So I think these were things that I I realized when I went through that process. So, uh, and it may, it made the, the entire change, right? So 
I couldn't have done. I couldn't have arrived here without him. And he's the best business partner I could ever found, I could ever have. And we went through Y Combinator together. And that was the big test of us working together uh, and making sure this was really going to work for both of us. And it did. And I'm so happy it's been doing great so far. But what I would tell myself back then was to not be super anxious in trying to find and figuring things out because it was not easy, but you know, where I am right now, looking back now, it's like, oh, it was so much easier back then. Now it's so much harder. But I guess um, we are always trying to, to you know, we are always super anxious about how what's, how we're going to solve this, what's next and where we're heading. Um, and I guess this is great because I think this is probably a, a, for me to remember that um, I don't need to be super anxious. Uh, as long as I continue doing what I believe and and being mindful of what I'm doing and where I'm heading, I I think I'll, it all turns it all fixed. You know the things they kind of get in in a way. Of course, it, there's a lot of work involved. I've never stopped working ever since I started sign. I, I I work a lot and I I it's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, but yes, and and it's working different ways. It's not like just sitting in my computer and and you know, doing stuff in the computer. It's also personal work. It's uh, relationship work. It's um, network work. It's all, all the other additional work that we need to figure it out now so we can be in a, in a good place. But yeah, I, I guess that would be it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, in sharing that your path was never like super straightforward and yeah, sometimes we're a little bit anxious about the future and how we're going to solve our problems. But yeah, like it, it's so interesting to see that, yeah, it never gets easier, right? You, you're, you were telling me that before the, the interview, that it's just you get a new level of complexity. But if you're doing something that you love, which you love climate, that was the problem that you wanted to solve with your life, right? And it was very clear like you're a vegan, I mean, it, it's integrity, right? It's keeping that integrity. Can we go into, you know, like some of the, I think we already talked a little bit more about the challenges you faced and how you overcame them. But what new challenges, you know, like are coming up right now um, as you're growing a global company, as your focus is also on diversity, having diverse talent, uh, remote working, right? All these different, you know, like challenges that now are coming up. Um, how are you navigating those? And what would be something that you tell your future self? I, I like that. I, I really like that question. Yeah, I tend to live more in the future there than in the past, but, but uh, that's why I, I keep thinking of that. But yes, the challenges are very different now. We are a bit over 50 people. We are a global team spamming across eight countries, I think we are right now. We have customers in 20 different industries. We have users in 60 plus countries. So very global <laughs> from day one, which is, you know, it couldn't be different. Climate change is a global problem. It, and it's a global opportunity. 
And yeah, it's always been part of our go-to-market strategy. We are fully remote, but we just came back from Rio where we took the entire company for a company retreat. It was super fun. We try to meet at least once a year, everybody. Uh, we've done this last year. We did this year. Hopefully we're going to continue doing it. And, but, but yes, I think, I think being remote, for example, it, it's something that it, it, it helps a lot with diversity because it, it just, you know, allows women with kids, for example, to be more flexible. It allows um, people from other cultures and countries to, to join this movement. Um, I think, of course, it ha everything has its pros and cons. One of the things that keeps me up at night is how do we continue this uh, to be cohesive? And as we grow, as we, and, and I love that you, that you said that, that I've always been very true to myself and and be i've always been had this very high notion of uh, integrity and value i've been vegetarian for over 10 years almost vegan I, i i do eat eggs but i don't eat any cheese and any other stuff but um i i agree i think we need to be cohesive in the way that we think the way that we speak the way that we act but we also need to and and this is my biggest concern how do we continue to be cohesive in a, in a fast-paced growing startup because there's so many new people coming in from all over um, and we need to continue to, to move that, that ship and that machine in the right direction uh, and making sure that we are all on the same page because communication is probably one of the biggest challenges, as always, as, as, as a human, I guess, not, not as a startup only. So I guess the, the, the thing that I would tell Maria of the future is probably, um, I, I guess it would be related to anxiety as well, because all of this stuff are, they always keep me up at night and I, I, and I'm always trying to, you know, move the pieces according to, to this cohesiveness and integrity. We've hired an amazing team so far. Everyone in the team is, I'm so proud of the team we've built. And I'm sure we're going to continue to hiring the, those amazing people. So I guess everything's going to be fine at the end, but we're really trying to work for the really best outcome. Um, not only for us, because like I said, if we are successful, the earth is successful um, and we are all successful as a society and and understanding that what we are doing is needed for us as a humanity i think it's already amazing right it's a, it's an already amazing outcome and the financial outcome is going to be just a consequence of that so i i think it's pretty rewarding to to do what we do and it and it's really great to be in climate tech i i don't i i'm biased <laughs> No, no, it's fine. It's it's what you're passionate about, right? Like, and since the beginning, you were like super into climate tech. And I was like, I don't understand a lot. Like, I don't understand this industry a lot. But I think within the years, right, like it had been become like a growing uh, and a pressing industry, right? Like, it, before, there wasn't even like a name called climate tech, right? But But your parents were already like in that industry. And I think as Latinas, it's so interesting, the support that we have uh, early on with our families, right? Like, because they are, they're, 
the value that they that they put on you, right? Like about loving uh, the earth, loving the world, taking care of them. I think it was like it's a key legacy that it's not only you; it's it's your whole family, right? Right, and it's so interesting as Latinos, we always keep that value of family there. Yeah, true. And nature, right? Because I think the developing world has more to lose in terms of natural resources uh, because the developed world already developed everything. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I think, yeah, I grew up in, yeah, going to to a lot of, yeah, to the countryside, but the countryside in Brazil is very different than the countryside in, in the U.S., but it's just because of the nature of the location, right? Not not, not much, I'm not referring to the other things, but the value of family, yes, absolutely. I, I'm lucky lucky enough to be in a very nice family, so I, I carry that value with me for sure, um, but I don't know if everyone is lucky. Um, but regardless, I think... I, I think that being able to talk about this and, and being able to connect with different cultures and people with different backgrounds, I think this is what makes me most excited about because you don't need to be in climate and you don't have to have a family in climate to work in climate. Okay. So this is my story. I but I think it's important that everybody understands that you don't need that same story. You can have not have a, a family in climate and have not worked in climate at all. And you can still apply to, to jobs in climate because this is this is essentially what happened to most of the people in our company. We basically have people that had climate backgrounds and people that have tech backgrounds and they just learn from each other and they exchange. And I think the 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 jobs of the future are really associated with this additional knowledge and additional science basically that you have to have. I think that climate is a a huge one, but everybody's going to have to have an additional thing that they need to learn about so they can really dig into the tech plus something, right? It's tech plus educate, ed tech or or, uh, biotech or um, climate tech. And I love that you mentioned that climate tech is a recent thing because it is. And five years ago when I was pitching Sinai, in San Francisco, nobody knew what climate emissions was. And and just two years, just like the past two years that these things have actually growing so much and so quick. So we have seen so many companies cl- come into the space and now it has a name. Yeah, it's, it's climate tech. It's the climate tech 2.0 because there was already a first wave of climate tech in the early 2000s. Um, and it, and then it, there was a gap of 10 years of nothing associated with tech and now it's coming back. So um, I think it's really interesting to see this change and, and I'm leaving this right now and, and I'm seeing and I'm, I'm from the tech, climate tech 1.0 and now I'm in the 2.0, but the 1.0 I was just learning and now I'm I'm leading the way, and, I, and it's really interesting to see all of these changes. And I agree with you. It's just like a couple of years back that this has really bloomed, and I really I'm really hoping that this continues to bloom, because I don't see any other way for again humanity to continue to be on planet Earth without changing business as usual, without changing the status quo. And that's why I encourage everybody to learn about 
climate tech and to apply for climate tech jobs and and to be in climate tech because because we need more talent and we need more people. My God, yes. So that's really important, right? The world actually needs it, and and climate tech is such a great opportunity to join. You know, one of the upcoming startups like Sinai. Okay, Maria. So, are you ready for our quick fire questions? Name a woman in tech that inspires you. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So, just thinking of tech as tech, um, I think Susan Wachiki. What? Oh my God, I never know how to say her last name. Sorry about my accent. Um, yeah, the CEO of YouTube, I, right? Like, yeah. Yes. I think she's awesome. I, I'm really inspired by her entire career in tech, early at Intel, then Google, then YouTube. I think she's an, an impressive leader. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So any of your favorite books that you've read? And it's a hard, this is a hard question. <laughs> I know. Well, my recent favorite book it's not in tech if that's allowed but um i have a lot of books that are reading tech but i don't know i i i one of the 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 one that actually helped me a lot is called becoming supernatural by joe dispenza it's actually uh it talks about how you need to rewire your brain to attract the things that you want and and i think this has been my my guiding star for the past uh, couple of years. I love that book. Nice. A favorite podcast or Netflix series or, or something like that? Oh, my God. There's one. Yeah, it's called All In. It's these four investors in Silicon Valley. They have very different opinions about many things. And I really like the opposing views and how they talk about topics that are very you know, mainstream, but they have different views and they are able to have a conversation about it because lately it's been very hard to have conversations with uh, somebody who has an opposing view as yours. Yeah. Hmm. That, that's very, very interesting. Uh, good resource in tech, a good resource that you use like a tool or, or something that maybe it's saving your life. I don't know. <laughs> Oh my God, I don't want to do propaganda, but um, I must say I really love Notion. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a tool that I use for everything. Uh, we just implemented widely in Sinai and everybody loves it. And I, I use it for my personal stuff. I was just doing a construction thing here at ha- my house and I organize everything in Notion. Anyway, I love, I love keeping my life organized in Notion. Love it, love <laughs> it. Yeah, it's actually what I'm reading, um, where I'm reading or podcast, you know, like um, structure as well. (laughs) So awesome, awesome. Um, And your hobby, do you have any hobbies that you're taking on right now? Do you have time for hobbies running a multinational company? (laughs) Uh, It's tough, but sometimes I try to make space for doing manual work. I just love... Maybe that's why I wanted to be an architect at the beginning. I like building things, but now I'm building a company, which is not with my actual hands. But I love building things with my hands whenever I have time. I've done watercolors. I've done uh, woodwork. I've done ceramic. But I'm on a Lego phase. Lego. Lego. Oh, my God. That's so fun. You're building houses with Legos now as a hobby. Yes. Um, 
exactly. Uh, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. Awesome. So what the community can do to support you and to support Sinai, Sinai right? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I guess I'll just go back to my point uh, earlier about educating yourself about climate, sharing more news about climate, applying to climate jobs. I, I think anything related to climate um, that you can learn about and share the word on it, I think I think it's helpful for everybody. So I would love to to see more climate engagements. Beautiful. Yeah. And apply for climate tech jobs, right? Like climate tech is also part of the tech industry. And yeah. And with that, how can we connect with you? How can people connect with you? Is it through Sinai and Sinai website or LinkedIn? I don't know. Like, what do you prefer? Yeah, I think recently my, my favorite social media has been LinkedIn just because it's more, um, I don't know, it's more neutral than other social media. I feel like the other social media, it's just, I don't, uh, when we think of fake news and all this other stuff, I kind of so- associate with the other social media, not LinkedIn so much. So I'm hoping LinkedIn is a little safer place to learn and, and connect in a more natural way. So it's, that's the place Perfect. for me yeah. to connect. Awesome. So, <laughs> Thank you so much, Maria, for doing this, you know, and thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And say hello on socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We will see you in the next episode. Bye. Hi, this is Maria Fujihara, founder and CEO at Sinai Technologies, the world's leading decarbonization platform. I'm based in San Francisco, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.